On today's episode, we sit down with Daniel Diamond, who is the 24-year-old founder of Epic Media. Now, Daniel works with some of the world's biggest brands at Epic Media, like Snapchat, Rosetta Stone, Vix, Adidas, Tampax, and more, to help them create content that lets them scale their brands quickly. And since launching Epic Media, Daniel has grown the brand to hundreds of thousands of dollars in sales a year, and is officially the only female owner of a cinematic robot, which from our conversation is basically a really badass robot that helps them take awesome videos. We talk about why she left her job out of college to work for herself, what most brands get wrong with creative, and what's in store for Danielle in the future. So without further ado, please enjoy today's episode. You're listening to the Next Generation Podcast, weekly interviews with the most interesting and successful 20-somethings out there. All right, everyone. On today's episode, we have Danielle Diamond, also known as DHD. And before even getting to the episode, I want to go and just share a little bit of a playbook that Danielle does that I think everyone, whether you are a podcast guest or just anyone on the internet should do today, where Danielle made it so easy for me to go and get a bio of her because she literally wrote it in her own LinkedIn description, which I think is just an absolute veteran play. So uh, for anyone who's wondering who Danielle is, Danielle, who goes by DHD, is regarded as one of the leading creatives in B2B and social content today. She has directed content for companies like Snapchat, Rosetta Stone, Vix, Adidas, Tampax, Vix, and I said Vix twice and more. Uh, and here's the kicker. Her work has contributed to 30 million plus organic views, over 500,000 followers and over $250 million in funding and revenue. And when not growing brands, she can be found singing show tunes and consulting a lot as a writer alongside Disney screenwriters and Tony award winning producers. Danielle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, like I said, I love that play. I think like most of the time, you know, when we're writing these uh, descriptions after the episode, it's like, okay, I know what we talked about. This person's impressive. They're doing cool stuff. Uh, but but how should we go and phrase it? And I think you did a really good job there. Yeah, I totally stole that play from Dave Gerhardt. <laughs> Smart move. Um, so it's actually speaking of Dave. Uh, so how I want to start off this this interview is basically you graduated Boston University. Uh, I want to say it was 2017. Was it 2018? 2018. 2018. So we actually worked together at Drift, both as, as the interns at the time. Uh, and, you know, just look, kind of looking through your career, uh, both during college as an intern and then after college, you basically went, and correct me if I'm wrong here, from Drift to user interviews to Rebel Motion to finally founding Epic Media. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Cool. Um, yeah. And so we got to see all the awesome content and video production stuff that you did over at Drift. Uh, what I want to go and kind of start off this interview with is basically in those first two years out of college. So you graduated Boston University with a degree in, was it videography or uh, film? Yeah, and video? I had a, a degree in film and TV. And then I also did theater. <laughs> so I'm curious from graduating from BU to immediately going and jumping into the workforce, like what were you focused on learning in those first two years out of college? So. The funny thing is my career definitely took just like a big shift from what because of what I did in college and that was working at Drift. Um, and I think the big thing that I ended up focusing on learning was just really taking all the marketing stuff that I'd learned at Drift and pairing it with like the high level production type of work that I was doing. And then also just... Um, I was focusing a lot on screenwriting and working with some Broadway producers and that sort of thing and really kind of taking those three things and like figuring out how do I combine them and like where is the niche and where is the need in the market for that, which uh, 
turned into Epic Media. <laughs> Did you know that you wanted to run an agency by the time you graduated or was it, let me go try a bunch of things, see what's interesting, see what sticks? Not at all. Um, I totally accidentally started the agency. The only reason why I started it is because I was getting so many requests that it didn't make sense to not start a company. Um, that's sort of what I say to people who want to start agencies is, is like, just do work. And if, if there's a need for it and you do good work, it, the demand will be there. So yeah, I had no idea I wanted to start an agency. It was never anything that I thought I would do a few years ago. Um, it just sort of happened and I'm really glad I did it. So when you graduated from BU, you were focused entirely on the film and the TV side of things and like making like really incredible produced content, essentially. Uh, when you were working at Drift, I kind of want to know like what made you want to really shift into the actual marketing side and the advertising side and away from just purely the, the entertainment side? Not saying that they're mutually exclusive, but uh, I'm curious. Yeah. Um, the more that I was working in the entertainment industry, the more I realized I kind of hate that industry. <laughs> that was honestly a huge part of it is that it's probably one of the most, like, I'm going to be so honest, like, it's probably one of the most misogynistic industries out there. Um, it's really driven based on who has the most money and connections, um, which is, you know, it is what it is. But the great thing about marketing content um, and advertising content is that it was really like, I felt like the opportunity was so huge in that, like, you all you had to do was be someone who was great at what they did and the attention was there. Um, and so, and also because of that, I felt like I got to be more creative creating um, ads rather than like feature films. Because when you work on feature film sets, it's the least creative thing in the world. Like everyone is so specialized to the point where like there's someone whose job it is to run around all day charging walkie talkies. Like that's not creative at all. And I wanted to be working with actors, directing a team, holding the camera you know, editing the video and really doing that type of creative work. And so starting an agency and sort of working with brands was really the best way to do that, right? And then the great part with that is starting an agency and and building a company has given me the tools and resources where now if I want to go and create a short film or I want to go and create a feature film, I totally can. I have everything that I need. I have the crew. I have the gear. Um, I have actors, I have everything that I could possibly need that if I had just gone and PA'd on feature films, I absolutely would not have. I love it. I feel like you hacked your way around the industry totally. to get to where you wanted. Mm -hmm. What was that actual, you know, from point A to point B where you said, okay, now I'm getting requests to make maybe some short content to the point where you're like, all right, I'm going to do this full time. I'm going to hire people. I'm going to spend a ton of money on equipment and we're going to go and, you know, do this consistently. Yeah. Um, honestly, a part of it was just I, I got miserable working for other people. Um, I had started just getting I was doing a lot of freelance stuff on the side. Personally, I was working at another production company as director of marketing. Um, and I I just wasn't liking working for other people. I found that production companies in general, even the ones that were focused on branded content, had really no concept of what solid marketing strategy was. And so we were creating like great content that had nothing to do with company goals. And then on the flip side, on the agency end of it, all these agencies were creating really great strategy presented in a really nice looking deck, but had absolutely no deliverables. Um, and so I kind of was like, I don't think I want to 
do this. And then I just started getting requests because I saw that I, that's kind of what I was just delivering to clients, right? I was, I was talking to them about strategy. I was working with them on like company marketing content goals while also creating this high quality content. And that's why people sort of just kept coming to me to do that. And I just found that I loved those two things. And just after a certain point, I was just getting, I was making more money doing my own thing than working for someone else. So it just made more sense to do that. And then also growing it, like when COVID hit, that was really the biggest thing for me to grow it because I was working as a writer on Broadway. And when Broadway shut down, I was like, okay, I need to go full in on something. Um, And so it was this. (laughs) Did you have to put a bunch of money in right when you decided you wanted to make that pivot or had you kind of accumulated all of the you know, tools and cameras and stuff you needed along the way. Yeah, I'm a big believer in not spending money you don't have. Um, and so I sort of just, I worked with what I had until I was at the point where I was like, okay, it's time for an upgrade. And then I slowly started to upgrade, right? So I started with a Canon little DSLR and then I upgraded to a little black magic. I actually remember I got that. That was one of the great things at Drift, right? I was earning money while I was still in school. And so I was able to upgrade my gear um, and also test out what I liked with Drift's gear. And then I slowly started upgrading. And then recently I got this red camera, which I love. And then we were, we we're getting a studio and we're getting a robot. And so slowly, like as, as needs have grown, like I've just, we're just getting things as it makes sense. I'm going to ask you about the robot later. Cause yeah. that's so badass. Um, so one of the things I wanted to touch on was like, I mean, we worked together at Drift for, I think we had probably what, like a four, six month overlap or something like that. I don't know. I maybe, was even of, in, maybe it was, were you there for a year? Cause I know at first you were, you bounced around a little bit. Yeah, I was there. Was, I did a co-op for six months. We extended yeah. it to eight and then I came on like part-time for an extra four months at the end of that. Um, yeah. But it was like all of 2017, I want to say it's a long time ago now at this point. Yeah. Um, but I remember specifically, and we've kind of talked about this before, and I've seen you post about it where, you know, you had a lot of design and creative influences around you at Drift. So like Amy, I know you worked with on a daily basis, Mm -hmm. Elise from a design perspective, Algert from a design perspective. Um, So there's definitely a lot of like mentorship and learning. And like you said, like there's a lot of advantages of working at a company like Drift because you're like, hey guys, we need this camera. And then like, you know, you can play with it. And then you're like, cool, now I'm going to buy this camera Um, or, or maybe not buy it. Um, so I'm curious, do you think more people should start a company right out of college? Like, you know, you're 24 now, you're, you're two years out of college, uh, and and you're running a really successful agency, Epic Media. Um, or do you think that they should go and wait that one to two years and try to get that experience and mentorship before jumping in? Um, so here's the thing. They could totally start a company right out of college. They could start a company in college. Like you guys did. Like I totally encourage that. However, while you're doing that, you should 100% go and work for someone else to go see how to run things. Um, Whether that's, this is how I don't want to run things. This is how I do want to run things. I do not think that I would be able to run Epic Media the way that I do had I not learned a bunch of stuff about management and a bunch of stuff about just business models and what those even are um, and and marketing and, and growing a business had I not learned that from Amy and Elise and Algert and DC and DG and everybody. Like I I really attribute so much of what I know to working at Drift. How does that compare to what you learned in college? I feel like there's a ton of hands-on learning, right? If you're working on a company. Yeah. And then like Blackboard and, and chalkboard learning and 
the theoretical standpoint? Was that applicable? Did it help? Are you happy you did it? Wish you didn't? So the thing is, I didn't go to school for business or marketing at all. And so just the stuff that I was learning in school was just way different than what I was learning at Drift. So they kind of complemented each other well. In school, I was learning... Um, I was learning just like how to use the camera. I spent a lot of time on screenwriting in school, which is probably the biggest thing I got out of classroom learning. I also did a lot in their theater program, which has really helped me as a director because at the time I was really focused on musicals. <laughs> um, and so that part of school was great. Um, I also really liked it for the social experience and just like kind of being on your own as a, an, an adult for the first time is really important, I think. But in terms of like in the classroom stuff, I don't think you can fully learn how to run a business or marketing or the things you need to know in the real world until you actually go and do it. Like there is there it really was very different the stuff that I was learning in the classroom and also just like when it comes to even like the creative stuff like how to use a camera and like creating videos I learned way more just making stuff at Drift than I did in the classroom. And also like in the classroom, especially in film school, they teach you absolutely nothing about creating videos that will actually make you money. Um, they basically teach you the what you need to know about like, they like study, there's a lot of like studying of movies and then they expect you to go like work as a PA and I just didn't wanna um, charge walkie talkies for a living. Yeah, it's, it's like one of those things where in the classroom, if the theory says, you know, you should line people mm -hmm. up in thirds and get someone centered properly, but then in reality, more people click on a video when people are centered off to the left. It's like, you should go and be doing the centering off to the exactly. left. Exactly. Right? And like, now half of the things are vertical. Like they don't teach you anything about vertical video. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Honestly, um, higher education is not caught up to the story yet. No, <laughs> um, not at all. I think so, I finally made the switch of going from always recording like horizontally to now I'll, I'll pull up my phone and record vertically, which is a bit, it's a bit strange to do now. I but definitely seems to kind of be the, the switch, the end thing. Um, what, what would be like one or two of those shortcuts that you could share with someone? So if someone's listening to this right now, they're a content creator, maybe they're just like, they're creative, they're, they're working in the film uh, space right now, or maybe they're still an undergrad and thinking about making the switch over to the marketing scene um, and kind of working in that realm. What are like one or two things that you learned, whether it was at Drift or user interviews or even Rebel Motion or I guess today, right? Uh, that's kind of like been the biggest impact for you uh, that's helped you kind of go and make that switch and, and work with more business clients and less uh, on the entertainment side. I mean, the biggest thing is go learn about business and marketing, right? Um, I think there's so many creatives who can make really nice looking stuff. But if you can't talk to a CMO in CMO language, and if you don't understand what's going on internally at the company and how your video could potentially contribute to their company goals and to the marketing goals, um, then you're going to be worth a lot less. There's a lot more, you have a lot more value to add if you know exactly what they need. And so, honestly, if you want to do, videos for brands. And if you want to create branded content and, and create marketing type of content, go work in marketing for a little bit. Like go work at a company, even if you might get paid a little less for a while, like the the stuff that you will learn there will allow you to add so much value to your clients later on. What about coming from the other perspective? If someone's owning a small e-commerce store, small business, what are some of the things that you know, maybe they're doing horribly with content that they could be doing better. Cause I know Connor and I struggled a little bit with, uh, you know, just, I don't know, coming up with good content is not nearly as easy as one might think, or maybe not even think. 
Yeah. So there's a lot to that. So we have a partnership with Snapchat. So we create a lot of social specific ads. Um, The first thing is just test a bunch, right? Test and and see what's working for you and what's not working for you. Because there's really no set of like, this will work every single time. What works for one company might not work for another. Um, Something that I would definitely recommend is find a bunch of role models that are working well. Find influences that aren't ads. Like, go look at your favorite YouTubers and your favorite TikTokers and, uh, you know, other ads even that you love, whether it's in your industry or not, and see, okay, why did I stop on this? Like, what made me stop and watch this? Out of everything on my feed, why did I watch this? Um, and apply that to your ads. Like, you just have to create content that people actually want to watch. And also, like, before you create something, Think about who you're actually talking to. I always recommend to my clients, like, pick one specific person, not a made-up persona, like a real person, a real customer, a real whoever that you're actually talking to and create that specific piece of content for them. And if that person will go and click on that piece of content, then that content was successful. Um, so that's definitely something that I recommend. Another thing is capture their attention in three seconds. You have three seconds to capture their attention. So whether that is... Um, Doing something like we did for Tampax, where we made tampons fly in the air in the first second of the video, or setting something on fire like I've seen some people do, or, you know, just like make sure you're getting people's, or even if it's just a headline, right? Just make sure you're getting people's attention. Um, Like, don't make the first three seconds of your video like a little intro with your logo. That's a great way to lose attention. So just make sure it's eye catching. Um, Yeah, those are some, there's so many things. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I know like having someone go and like break their feed by being able to go and actually stop it. Like, right. Like, I think I, I was just on a plane the other day and you see people even using social media on an airplane when they have no Wi-Fi, which to me is the most bizarre thing <laughs> of all time. But I mean, even so, like they'll hold up their phone and they'll just scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. And like they're not looking at anything or even if they are looking at something, they're processing it in like one or two seconds. I think Russell Brunson has this awesome ad where he's selling books, right? Like that's, that's what his thing with what he sells um, along with software. But in the, in the ad, he like literally lights the book on fire. Yeah, and he's like, these books, yeah. He's like, these books are on fire and like, like it definitely captures your attention right away compared to every other book ad where it's just like a still image just, you know, sitting there. Um, so I'm, I'm actually glad that you brought up role models too, because I wanted to kind of get into some of the projects that you've worked on and, and some of the ways that people are kind of creating content in the industry today. So two sides of that, B2B, B2C, uh, which for anyone listening that doesn't understand those terms, business to business, right? It's like people selling software or business to consumers, which is like people selling tampons. Um, so what uh, do most B2B brands get wrong about their content, especially when it comes to the creative and advertising side? So much. Um, what they get wrong is they just make it so boring. Um, I'll start. I'm going to start with the homepage video. That's the biggest thing they get wrong um, because that's this is one of my biggest rants. The first thing that they get wrong is their homepage videos are just so boring and they have nothing to do with the customer, right? So you see one of two videos is like the worst types of videos that you see very often. The first one are those really boring animated explainer videos where it's like, animated versions of the product, not even the real product, which is the funniest thing to me. And it's like three minutes long and a really generic voiceover. Um, And you're like, maybe you watch the first couple of seconds and then you get bored and you kind of scrub through the middle to see if you can find what you're looking for. And just no one watches 
those. And and whenever I kind of walk through this, people start laughing because they're like, yeah, that, yeah, that I've done that a million times when I see those. Um, so those are like not so cool anymore. That was probably great in the 90s, not so much today. Um, the second thing is... I'm just I'm just imagining a company ha- even having a website in the 90s, <laughs> like just knowing what those websites even looked like in the first place. Maybe the 2000s. I'm, I'm I forget how how time has fly, flown. Um, the second thing are those videos where it's like B-roll of the office and then the CEO talking about their brand values. Like no one cares. Like the the unfortunate truth of the matter is no one really cares about your values or your brand or who you are or your story so much. What they really care about is the problem you can solve for them and like how well you can do that. And so what I've kind of seen work really well is sort of this new customer journey with the website in particular, where you land on the homepage. The homepage, I see it as like the first date, right? You go on someone's homepage for the first time, you're feeling out who they are, like, what's this brand about? Like, can they fix my problem? Do I want to go with them? And so something that I've seen work really well on the homepage and just convert really high are those comedic style narrative videos. And these focus on the problem and not the solution. Like you go on the website, you make someone laugh in like a minute, minute and a half. And then they're like, yeah, that's totally the problem. That's a really good way to put it. That's really funny. I, re- I kind of like these guys. Let me go and click and see more about the product. Then when they're on the product page, that's when you want to do that like very human talking head style video um, where actual pictures and actual videos and actual stuff from the actual product pops up so they can see what the actual product looks like. You explain it in a script that really kind of covers what they need to know in a short period of time. So like, don't just screen record a demo. That's for a different part of the funnel. That's like really when they're very interested and they they have the attention span for a five-minute demo or a 10-minute demo. Um, but yeah, those, those talking head product videos are really powerful, um, especially if you keep them short. Yeah, I think you some people like try those, to go. And, um, sorry, you can go, Connor. I was gonna say, I think some people definitely try to go and oversell on the homepage for the first date. It's like the kind of person who, like, you go on a first date, and you're like, "Hey, man, like, you're being a little bit too forward on the first date." Yeah, it's like uh, asking it's, someone to marry you on the first date. You can't do yeah, that. <laughs> no, too aggressive. No, I think I think exactly what you said, where you make them laugh, you make them like. I think the toughest part when you're selling online today is getting someone to go and trust you because at the end of the day, if I like, if I know if I go to salesforce.com or if I go to, you know, drift.com, whatever, right? Like where we work. Um, if I go to one of those sites and I put in my credit card information, which again, most of them, you can't put in your credit card information without talking to five enterprise reps. Um, but if I could, I'd be cool with it. Cause at the end of the day, they're a massive company and I know that they're not going to totally go and screw me over. Whereas if you're a newer brand and you're trying to go and earn that trust and you're trying to make, you know, a $100 million or whatever like that year. And like you're, you're ramping up to that stage. Then at that point, I think you have to kind of go with a soft sell of being like, Hey, you can trust us. We're humans. We're just like you. We want to do the right thing. And now let's just go and show you how to go and do that. Mm-hmm. I wanted Absolutely. to touch back on the, uh, the funny video aspect is it was it Harmon Brothers? I think that are really well known for doing. Um, I think they did the uh, the. They did like the purple mattress one. They did yeah. the dollar. The, I think they did the dollar shave humor. Yeah, you don't like them. So yeah, I've got to think about that. Um, so yeah. so what? I'm curious. So what? What's like that balance between appropriate humor and then my second question to that is. Do you think that's something people can reasonably do in house, or is there just you know once you hit a scale where that's an appropriate video? 
pay someone to, to make I, it? I wouldn't do so. There, there's a few things. So the first thing is that's not something I wouldn't do it in house. There's actually there's a Dan Kennedy book that says I think it's Dan Kennedy that says like don't try to do comedy. Let the comedians do comedy. And that's when I say hire screenwriters. Um, the, some one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen companies make is they hire copywriters to write scripts copywriters and screenwriters and script specific people and video specific people are very different. So someone who's great at writing your blog is not going to be great at writing your narrative comedic script. So try like if that's your if you're at a at a point where that's sort of your only option, then go for it and see if it works out. But I've I was actually literally just talking to a company today that said, "Yeah, we tried to do that and it really didn't work." They even hired someone to help, but they weren't a screenwriter and so it didn't work at all. Um, and so that's just what I've been hearing from people is that when they try it that way, it doesn't work. So it's probably just not worth doing. Um, yeah, with the Harmon Brothers style stuff, again, I think it worked 10 years ago. It's great when it's eye-catching, but I think humor has changed. I think people have gotten, if you even if you look at television, right? Like the best TV shows, like if you look at like, Parks and Rec or like, you know, Tina Fey's TV show, or I'm trying to think of like modern, com- just modern comedies are much smarter than they used to be. And so I think people are kind of done with the poop jokes and like, they're kind of one trick ponies in the sense that like, it's just like, here's the product and here's a poop joke with it. And I don't think that people are going to think of that as something that stands out anymore because it still feels like an ad. That's the problem with it, right? It still feels like an ad. It's very product focused. It's still very salesy. It's very like, here's the product. It's something that's like, okay, this is clearly an ad. I think the trick is not to make it feel like an ad and to give it the type of humor that is a little bit more like a TV show, right? If you're going to create something funny, create something in the style of The Office or or create something in the style of whatever your favorite TV show is, right? And I think that's the biggest mistake is when it feels too much like an ad, people aren't going to trust it, even if it's trying to be funny. Yeah, I definitely think that humor these days is a lot more nuanced. Like, I think to your point in 2012, if you came out with a commercial for your brand, you said the word fuck in it. It's like, everyone's like, Like, oh, did you hear what they said? Uh, Whereas now it's just like, Okay, like they're, they're trying to do the Dollar Shave Club thing. They're trying to do, you know, the, the purple mattress thing, whatever. Yeah, um, even if you look at this year's Super Bowl commercials, right? I know a lot of people were just very underwhelmed because everyone tried to do humor, but not a lot of people did it well. Yeah, agreed. I think a lot people of it- are smarter than we think they are. They want nuanced, like interesting, smart humor. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of the times brands will try to go and just, you know, pay that one celebrity, you know, two million, yeah, three million dollars to come on. What's up? I think I said, I think I tweeted about that. Like you can't Did, just pay a celebrity and it's not going to make your, it's not going to make your ad good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so that actually kind of brings me to the next question too. So we talked about B2B, what B2B brands are doing wrong. And obviously you work with a ton of different B2B mm-hmm. brands. Uh, now what are direct consumer brands getting wrong about their creative? So they like, this is probably taking less off the explainer video on the website because people totally. understand most you know products when they see them. They don't understand most softwares when they see them. Uh, I, I'm really curious now if I run, you know, you know, Cardly or Respoke or whatever kind of like brand I'm trying to build today. Um, what should I be doing better with my creative? And what are people getting wrong? Yeah, so there's a few things. Um, again, the first thing is if depending on your product, if you have a product that like can like 
that can really be shown off to look really great. Like make your product look awesome. Like that's where like a lot of the robot work comes in is like, you need to make your product look really cool. Um, and if it looks really cool and if you can get people to like stop on it and be like, Ooh, what's that? Like, that's how you're going to get people's attention. Um, and then if you're doing UGC, um, make sure it feels natural and not like a, a weird sort of, like make sure the script isn't weird. Um, so can you that define I've, that quick for anyone that doesn't know what that is? Uh, yeah. So user generated content at UGC is like when you have people selfie style, holding out their iPhones, talking to the camera, like I just bought this eyeliner. It's amazing. Here's why I like it. Um, something that I've seen work well with UGC. And actually I know Connor, you've been doing some of this at Actually, I think you kind of followed this format at Privy, funny enough, um, and it worked. I think it works really well. Is start with UGC and then go to a product shot and maybe a lifestyle shot, and then back to UGC. So give them a little bit of variety, so it's more than just a person talking. Um, and I think that that really helps show off the product a little bit more. It's like, okay, here's this person talking. This seems really native and natural and interesting. That's a great way to start off. Then it's like, okay, I'm interested. Give me a little bit more. The little bit more is going to be a, a really nice product shot or something that's, or even just, it could even be shot in an iPhone of someone actually using the product, right? Just show me something with the product itself. That way I can gauge whether or not I actually want to buy it. And then maybe like someone using it in a real situation and then back to UGC talking is sort of a format that I've seen work pretty well. Um, or you can do something that's, again, totally funny or ridiculous that will make someone stop and be like, what was that? Um, and so that's that's one way to get attention, although that probably works much better for the bigger type of brands that I know we work a lot with because they're more after brand awareness than clicks. Um, right. They're not as big into the direct response element yeah. of it. Mm -hmm. no, um, depending yeah. on who they are, not all the time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I know um, one of the styles that I've seen work really well for some different brands with their UGC is the TikTok style these days. So it's a lot of like, hey, here's two seconds of a human face. And now here's two seconds of the product. Here's two seconds of the product in action. And, and they try to make it really native for each platform um, because I know the other style and, and issue that a lot of people run into is they'll go and shoot something on, you know, a one by one uh, orientation format and they'll go and try to run on all those different stories. And like, they're just converting terribly once you go and try to put it into a story. Yeah. You need to shoot things for what it's meant for. There's nothing like worse than seeing a, like a cropped square video or something <laughs> pop up on TikTok or, uh -huh. yeah. or the worst is when it's like still, like horizontal even and it just like uh, tiny yeah. on the screen it's like next that's next, an ad yeah. no one's no one's looking at it are you um do you do you have like role models in the b2b and direct to consumer space that when you're like like we were literally you and i were emailing back and forth today about examples for a video that yeah. we're working on right now um and i was like honestly i don't i don't have any good examples <laughs> so i'm sorry but uh, we'll talk more about that later um but uh do you do you have different role models uh for the b2b space that if you're making whether it's a demo video or product video you look into and then role models for the D2C space? Um, for, I, I look to Apple a lot. Um, I think that they, I mean, it's even like, honestly, they're old ads, right? Mac versus PC. I remember as a kid going on YouTube and looking those ads up so I could watch them all in order. Like if you're, you want your ads to be that good. Like that is like the pinnacle of what a good ad is. Like, so you want someone to go on YouTube and watch it for fun. Um, and so definitely that I like how they show off their products. Um, they also, not a lot of people know about this, but so since one of their biggest consumer base are creatives, 
what they'll do is they'll just give filmmakers or like like I think it was Spike Lee that they gave money to. Um, they'll give like filmmakers or musicians or just like artists some money and they'll say, go make something and it'll just be sponsored by Apple and you'll edit it on a Mac. Um, and that'll be the like they give them like stuff to make really cool content. And so I think just like letting people get creative with things is a big um thing that I look towards. So like, okay, how are they taking narrative and bringing it into their branded content? How are they taking TV show style stuff and bringing it into their branding content? Um, a brand that did something great this year, I think is Netflix with their 2020 wrap up video. A lot of companies went really solemn with the 2020 wrap up video. And by that point, we were all really sick of the like, this is very droll and upsetting. We get it. 2020 was very upsetting. We don't need to see it anymore. We don't want to see it anymore. Please stop. Um, and Netflix instead did a really funny musical number about, whoops, I watched all of Netflix this year. There's nothing left to watch. Here's all the stuff that I watched. And I thought that was like one of the videos that really did it well. And so Netflix as a company, you know, as a media company does things really, really well. Um what else was there? I'm trying to think. Other... Uh, just no, I think direct to consumer and then business to business um, brands that you think that are just mm. awesome. But yeah, yeah B2B honestly... brands. I mean, I really like what we did at Drift. That was like that. That I think kind of started a, a whole movement of okay, you need to you need to think outside of the box. I know Gong is doing some really awesome stuff right now um, with that style video. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the other thing that you mentioned, where Apple was sending stuff to Spike Lee and like they send the stuff to the creatives, hands down, like top 10 YouTube video for me is the make it count Casey Neistat video where if, if anyone hasn't seen it, just end this podcast now and just, just go to YouTube and watch it. It is like the best two minutes of film that I've like just ever watched. Cause I'm afterwards, I'm just like, damn, I need to travel the world. Basically I think Nike was coming out with some kind of fitness band or something. Um, and they paid Casey Neistat a bunch of money to basically be like, make an awesome video about this. And so the, the video starts off like Nike paid me a bunch of money to do this. Uh, I didn't do it. And instead me and my friend just like traveled the world, uh, for like seven days. We went to like, you know, 16 countries in seven days or something ridiculous. Um, and then it was just like a super inspiring, like cool two minute video. And at the end, he's like, make it count Nike. Uh, and like the product was not talked about at all. He didn't mention, you know, Nike aside from like the first and last 10 seconds. Um, and at the end of the video, you're just like, well, this video just got like, you know, 16 million views or something like that. Like it did way better than Nike could have ever expected. Yeah. Um, so that was definitely a cool example. Also, I feel like when you're working with influencers, this is also an important thing for, for like e-com brands and D2C brands to really remember is if you're working with TikTokers or if you're working with YouTubers, you're not always paying them for their creativity. Like you can't always take what they create for you and put it and like run it as a Facebook ad and expect it to work because they're not marketers. What you are paying for is the trust of their audience. And so that's when like handing it over to them and saying, do what you want with it because you know your audience and your audience is going to trust you if you're sponsored by us. Like that's all you need to do is just let them do their thing. Um, and then on the topic of YouTubers and TikTokers, right? Like if you, one of the best things you can do to find role models is look at the content that you are personally watching on a day-to-day -day and be like, why am I watching this? Like, why did I just watch that YouTube video? What did I really like about that? Um, how can I take that and apply that to my own brand? Or how can I take that and like apply that to the next ad that I run or apply that to like, 
to, to content that we're making as a brand. Um, I think that's, that's honestly one of the biggest inspirations that I draw things from is that I go watch a lot of YouTube. <laughs> I definitely watch a lot of YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm telling you, everyone watches YouTube. <laughs> Are there any very specific roadblocks that you encounter as an agency in coming up with content? Right. And oftentimes you hear writers run into writer's block. Is there some sort of similar block that, that you struggle to overcome sometimes, or is it there's so much going on and so many people involved that you tend to, you know, I think that's, the direction the, that's sort of the biggest thing that's been working is, is one, you know, once now that I, I have other people on the team that aren't me, like we've grown the team to about 10 people. Um, I have a group of people that like I can go and brainstorm with. I think my, I know my brain and the brain of everyone at Epic Media is like, I've, we've, I found that like when we work together, there's no shortage of ideas. We're just constantly coming. Like we can, we're presented with a brief. We start with that and we just sort of keep going. And like, oftentimes what will happen even is like, especially since, since I'm sort of the marketing lead when it comes to, to client facing things, like we'll come up with 10 ideas and we won't use any of those 10 ideas, but that those 10 ideas will like spark that one big idea. That's like, Oh, from, I saw like from a marketing perspective, this is going to work really well. And that idea reminded me of this, which means that we should do this. And like that becomes the idea. And so sometimes it takes a bunch of iteration is the biggest thing. Um, and, and if you're someone who's trying to come up with content, don't get frustrated if you have to come up with 10 ideas before you come up with the 11th great one, because sometimes that's the best way to get to that great idea, right? Your first idea isn't always going to be the best one and that's okay. If it's not coming up with the ideas, what do you think is the biggest struggle in running an agency, I guess, from like a a broader perspective, the hiring process or clients, or I feel like there's gotta be Uh, something there. Yeah. I think hiring is hard because there's definitely a standard we like to uphold and it's hard to find people who really fit into this very specific niche, right? Where we like playwrights, we like people who are just really creative and have niche um, skills and production. Um, and then we have to combine that with knowledge of marketing, right? Which is really hard to find or like even just specific editing skills. So that's been been hard, but fortunately we've, we found some amazing people for the team. And then like on a personal note, the biggest challenge for me has been delegating and saying, hey, I need to not do all the things. I'm going to give this person that responsibility, or I'm going to train this person to do this thing that I usually do. That way I don't have to do it anymore. It's something that I've been working a lot on this year, and it's made a huge difference in the business. And it also allows us to just take on so many more projects if I'm not bogged down by little things on a day-to-day. In that note, was there any any books or how did, how did you overcome that? Was it just doing it more frequently Getting and kind of over, overcoming the fear? <laughs> yeah, I, I had to make mistakes. Um, I did at one point, like I hired the wrong person to do something and, and it cost me some money because, you know, I still have to pay them for their time um, and it like didn't come out well and I had to go and hire someone else to do it. Um, and so like, I just had to make mistakes. I needed to to get to a point where I like knew it, where I just was working all the time and like got to a point where it's like, I really can't handle this anymore. Like I have no choice, but to hand things off to people. It was just a lot of personal mistakes was honestly the biggest part of it. And there was a lot of things that I knew, like there are books on this. Like I've learned this from like Amy and, and DC and from, from Dave and from everyone. And I, t- something that I talked to Dave about a little bit actually, and he helped. Um, but like, 
a lot of it is just, you know, the information you have to get over yourself and start applying it. And like, that was the hardest thing for me was going, okay, I know that this is the right way to run a business and I'm not doing that. I need to let go of some Legos and let people do things and also let mistakes happen because they're going to happen, especially at first and just give feedback and work on that. And, and also give people things that are, are in their strengths. I mean, find and find people to fill gaps that really fit into what their personal strengths are and like finding the intersection of here's what this person is good at and here's what we need. So speaking of hiring people and creating jobs, I'd love to actually transition over to you buying a robot <laughs> and, and kind of talk a little bit more. So for anyone listening, can you explain uh, what a Cine robot is? Yeah. So the one we just got is the Mark Roberts motion control bolt uh, cinema robot. Um, basically, it's this it's, it's a robot and it, it's like a robot arm that lets you do these really cool movements um and so there, there's sort of two reasons why it's it's great to have one the first thing is just uh, three reasons rather first thing is just certain moves and certain ways to highlight a product that you just can't do by hand or with a slider or with a gimbal um, it really is so precise and just makes for a really cool movement the second reason are repeatable moves that let you do really cool things in post. So we did this Adidas ad where we made the robot sort of roll over the shoe and we did it four times, once with four shoes, once with three shoes, two shoes, one shoe. And then we sort of made the shoes zap out in post. And because that move is so repeatable, it literally looks like the shoe is being zapped, um, which is something that you can only do with the robot. And then the third reason is for high speed work. So we also, with that, are getting a camera called the Phantom Flex 4K. And basically it's a camera that can do really high frame rates, which just means like super, 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 super slow motion. Um, and the great thing about that, right? So like great examples for the tampon commercial we did. Um, they wanted something that was going to catch attention immediately and something that no one has done before with tampons. And also they were like, how do you make tampons look cool? Because it's not really a cool product in general. Um, and so what we did is we rigged a tampon box to make the tampons pop up and fly in the air. Um, but the, the only way to get that shot is with the robot because you have to track it exactly as it flies. And it goes so fast that you need super slow motion to really see the tampons go like in a way that's really cool. And that's what you do with the robot. Also, so I think I've seen... I don't know if I, if it's just me or if I've gone down like rabbit holes of behind the scenes, like content creation. Um, but I've seen some really, really interesting stuff where they like, they hook up robots and pulleys and like stuff's flying everywhere. And then you see the final and it's, it's kind of insane. Have you guys looked into creating like the behind the scenes stuff yourself in terms of, you know, this is how we do stuff and kind of build up publicity that way? Or is that just not not something you're looking at yet? Um, actually, that's something we want to start doing. We're, we're opening a studio of our own in June. Um, one of our, our close collaborators does that and is really big on TikTok. His name is David Ma. Um, and we do a lot of content with him. We, we like run his robot stuff. Um, and so he has like a TikTok and like does a lot of behind the scenes on that. But that is definitely something that we haven't done nearly enough of. It's funny. I always joke like 
I do so much marketing for everyone else that I'd never have time to do marketing for myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so like our own marketing is internally is just not where it needs to be. Um, and so in June, when we have our studio, that's something that I think we're going to focus a lot more on. Cause I think that's a great idea is like, here's the behind the scenes of this. And like, or like we're going to start making YouTube content and educational content, especially because um, one of my business partners, Riley, is really interested in in just like teaching and educational side of things. And we think there's a lot of value to kind of give on the YouTube um, front and education front. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that'd be awesome. I love that content. It's so interesting, especially I dabble with mm-hmm. some uh, video stuff every once in a while. That's nuts. The, uh, yeah. People the seem to really like yeah. the how lately too. Yeah. Like, like that's something that I think I was talking to um, Lucas Walker about is like how content versus versus why like why can, why is particularly good for b2b but especially with like native content like especially with b2c things on tiktok things on youtube things on instagram how content seems to be really interesting like cooking tutorials and tutorials on how to do different things and behind the scenes like people have been really into that on the note of you saying you don't do enough marketing for yourself yeah. you guys have crazy clients so so how does that like what, what does that funnel look like did you is this all word of mouth essentially it's all word of mouth um it's yeah, especially on the B2B side, it's totally word of mouth. We just get a lot of people that have seen my work at Drift, people who are in Dave Gerhardt's private community who see a lot of my work there. Um, and so they that's sort of a big, big funnel on the B2B side for us. And then in terms of B2C, um, I've gotten a few clients and agencies through Twitter just by tweeting my thoughts and my work. Um, and then we do have a partnership with Snapchat and they are are someone who like are constantly bringing us a lot of those bigger clients. Um, the biggest thing has just been consistently doing good work and then word of mouth kind of spreads that way. That's awesome. Yeah. I honestly see all of the stuff that goes into you doing work with Dave. And I got to imagine it's like, if you are the person doing all of the creative in front of 2,500 other B2B marketers, you're going to get some clients that way. So that's yeah, really smart. It's, it's a really neat side of the funnel. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I got two, I guess two, two or three more uh, things and we can start wrapping up here. Um, what is something, so have you been running Epic now for, I want to say it looks like 18 months, about two years almost. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, what's something that you wish that you could have gone back and done all over again, or I guess done better. Had you gone and started again? Ooh done better or maybe not necessarily done better but just like a mistake that you made that looking back you're like okay knowing what i know now that would have saved me time that would have saved me money that would have saved me headaches i don't want to do that again i would have started hiring and training people way earlier i i think that i held off too long and was really reluctant to bring people onto the team um and to like grow and scale and i think because i like was afraid of scaling by the time it got to the point where it was so necessary that I scale and scale fast, it kind of like I was I felt like I was running on a hamster wheel trying to like get the people and train people and, and getting people to where we need to needed them to be. And so I definitely would have hired people way sooner. Yeah, that's a great answer. I feel like that's been a kind of a common thread throughout a lot of these interviews with people who are running businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just you, you want to do everything yourself. It's your baby. It's you know, it's you. Uh, but at some point, if you want to go and start making a lot of money in the business, you have to start delegating it out a little bit more. And that that's the scary part too, right? Is I think for a little bit of, for a little bit, it's gonna cost you a little bit more money up front. Like you might have to make a little less for a minute, but then eventually it will allow you to make more. 
Um, right. You just have to be patient though. And yeah, patience the, can be hard. And I, I feel like it's also one of those things that you, everyone tells you that like, that's always an issue, uh-huh. yeah, but, listen, though. <laughs> but, but it's always, you, you go through it and then you start realizing like mm-hmm. you're running every single part of the company and they're doing the accounting and the, the customer service and you're making the content and, but it's probably a great, you know, you learn, learn on the job. Yeah. It's a great way to go nuts and have a mental breakdown if you try to do everything yourself. So don't do that. <laughs> um, so I'd love to wrap up with this question is, is you're 24 today. You're running a media agency business that's doing hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Um, what's your goal for the next 10 years, right? Or I guess it can even be as short as five years. Like, do you want to grow Epic Media into an eight or nine figure like media juggernaut basically? Or do you want to go and jump back over to Broadway and produce shows? Like what what's in the future for you? That's a good question. And the answer is I kind of want to do both. Um, I, I want to... I want to ideally be able to just continue to create fun projects with people I enjoy working with. That's really my long-term goal, whether that looks like lots of branded content or Broadway shows or a combination of both or short films or whatever. Um, I, I would love to just keep creating things and doing it with people that I enjoy creating with. Um, and that's, I think, has been my biggest driver in scaling Epic Media and why I want to keep scaling it is that it's sort of the the train that allows me to, and, and the whole team to continue to do whatever creative projects we want to do. Like having the studio in June, like we can create whatever we want. Um, and so, you know, we can, we can create stuff for clients and then do personal projects and just have fun and, and be creative. And I think, especially for creative people, having personal projects and and passion projects in our lives is definitely a big driver for us just like on a day to day. And so I think that that's really what I want to do is just make, make things with people that I love. (laughs) I think think you summarized it even better. I was uh, doing some research before the call on just like any, any ideas you've put out there in the wild. Uh, One of the better ones uh, that you put out on Twitter was I want to make cool shit with cool people. Yeah. Uh, And I was like, (laughs) well said. (laughs) That's exactly it. I just want to make cool shit with cool people. That's my goal for the next 10 years. I, I think feel like that's an awesome goal. Before we uh, before we finish up, where can where can people find you? So it seems like you're pretty big on Twitter. Yeah, on Twitter, you could find me at dhopediamond. Um, if you want to see cool video stuff, I post a lot of that on, on my personal Instagram as well. Um, there's also, you can find me on um, epicmedia.com, E-P-I-Q. Um, my grandpa, when I named the company, that was like, are people going to know how to spell that? And I was like, they'll figure it out. I'm going to build a brand so they can know. Um, <laughs> but it's epiqmedia.com. Um, that's where you can kind of see all of our work. There's a little drift chat bot, of course, so you can can talk to me directly. Um, we're also epic underscore media on Instagram. If you want to kind of see some of the cool robot stuff, um, we're going to be posting more of that. And like, like you, you said, Gio, I, I need to start posting BTS. So that's definitely something that's going to happen. And there will be a YouTube channel coming soon. Now that I said it on a podcast, we have to do it. So we'll keep our eyes up for it. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming on. We yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me.